Amen. Great singing this morning. We're in the middle of a three-week series right here on Easter, middle of the middle of the sermon series called Death to Life. Uh, where we're going to be, we're going to start in 1 Peter. I know that's not in the Gospels. I know we're not resurrection story, uh, but we're going to start in 1 Peter. We're going to spend most of our time there. Uh, but and just a reminder of where we've been, kind of where we're headed, what's going on. Last week we talked about death as warm and fuzzy as that message wasn't. Uh, hopefully will lead to more greater rejoicing and a greater reflection on what Jesus has done for us today. Uh, but just a reminder where we were last week. We spent most of our time in the Genesis 3 story. And, and because of sin, because, because Adam and Eve would listen to a serpent rather than the creator God of the universe, and they would rebel against God, and, and sin enters the world, and death enters in. We talked about two types of death, and we talked about this idea of physical death, and God says to Adam and Eve, there's, there's dust to dust. Like, like, this is, your body will, will die, it goes back into the ground, it, it, it gets eaten by worms, right? And then there's also this, phys- this spiritual death, which is this separation from God. So let's just talk briefly about these two things, because when we just sang about it, we just sang that Christ came and conquered death, and, and we're not just talking about one of the two, right? We're going we're gonna to talk about how Christ comes, and he, he conquered physical death, he conquered spiritual death, he's given us life. So let's just briefly run down these two things. Physical death, like... Every single person, every single country, every single people group seems to have some story, some myth, some legend of somebody that would go find some sort of everlasting life, go find some sort of fountain of youth that would, would turn back the time, that would make us young again. I mean, even Disney, right? My daughter, I, my favorite probably too, is the girl that drinks some flower water and makes her hair magical and makes an old lady live really long. Like, and here's the story of over and over again of, of every kind of tribe and people that would say what? That would say we long for something greater than just dust to dust. Like in our heart, we, we think there's something greater out here than just you're born, you live, and you die. And, and it seems like, hey, there's something greater, there's something bigger than this, and our heart longs for it. And what we've seen is throughout history is you have these stories, but not only that, throughout history there's modern medicine, which we can be thankful for, and it extends the life expectancy. And yet in all the things that we have done, we still can't conquer death. Like, no matter what modern medicine does. I heard someone talk about it the other day. Man, when I'm 80, I hope modern medicine exceeds what we're doing right now. And, and their thought process was, when I'm 80, I'm hoping there's hope that I can live to be 100 or 120. And it's like, and yet we still, we haven't fully conquered it. We're, we're not there yet, right? We talk about spiritual death. You, again, go to just about every people group ever to live in the history of this planet. And they have some sort of God or gods that they are trying to, to know and be known by. Like if we climb this mountain, if you do these certain deeds, if you work hard enough, if you try hard enough, then maybe this God will, will you'll appease his anger, you'll, you'll make a relationship. They might not use that word, but, but somehow you would be known by him. And so somehow in our, in our, in our hearts, like throughout humanity, there's this, this longing for something greater than just dust to dust. And there's longing for, for knowing something that's far greater than us, something that's above us. And, and people might not say God of the Bible. They might have some other God. They might call him an architect or some other thing. Like there's still this longing for something greater. Right. And so, so this morning when we sing these songs, we look at these texts and we talk about Jesus and his resurrection, that Luke 24 passage that Austin read to start the service. Like, I love what the angel says. Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? Like, there's a place where dead people hang out, but Jesus ain't one of the dead anymore. Right? Like, like what he does on this Resurrection Sunday, which is also the Feast of First Fruits, which will be a whole other message someday, but what he does is, is this, this picture and this, this victorious uh, rising from the dead. 
but it says physical death is no longer our enemy. Spiritual death and separation from God is no longer our condition. So we're going to be in 1 Peter, and we're going to talk about how Christ does what this looks like. So 1 Peter 3, we're going to, or 1 Peter 1, verse 3, sorry. We're, we're going to start here in 1 Peter 1. Uh, we're going to focus in on this physical death aspect uh, first, and then we'll flip a page or two, and we'll look at this separated from God. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to attain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. All right, so, so I'm just going to say this right from the get-go. Like the kind of the center of this little paragraph that we read is the end of verse 3, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Right? That's what we celebrate today. Peter says he's going to make all these little arguments here. He's going to say these things. And, and all of this is based on what? The fact that Christ rose again. Like if he's still in the tomb, none of this is true. Okay, but what do we see? We're going to do what we always do. We're just going to walk through these three verses this morning. What do we see? First word, blessed. The idea of praise, magnify, glorify. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just pause just for a moment. Like today is the day that we, that we glorify who? We glorify the Father. We glorify Jesus for, for his obedience and his submission. Right, thinking back to last week, our condition is what? One of sin, rebellion, and death. Jeremiah 17, 9, we talked about this verse last week. Our hearts are deceitful uh, and desperately sick. That word means incurable. It's, it's maybe weird to say this was a good discussion point last week, but we, we talked about these different scenarios where it was like a dead man walking. Like, like your condition is, is incurable. You might be alive right now, but, but we know how this ends. Right? Like, so... so very, very first word in verse 3, blessed, praise, like the one who, who deserves our praise, the one who deserves the songs that we would sing, like it's not us. Right? Like there's nothing worthy of praise in us. Like we, we put our eyes on him. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy, that word mercy we've talked about it before, but in the Greek it's this uh, passion, uh, compassion, it's this... Um, feeling sorry for, pity towards those who are afflicted and miserable. Like here's the creator God of the universe who's perfect and holy and who needs nothing. And he looks at the human condition which was full of sin and death and sorrow and misery. And you can go read the Old Testament from Genesis 3 when sin enters in the world all the way into the Old Testament. And it's just misery and misery upon misery it seems like. And, and here's a God who looks down on that and doesn't say, hey, you got what you deserve. There's a God who looks down on that and feels sorry for it and has compassion for those who are miserable. But it, the, the Greek word doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with compassion. It also has this desire to help. Like, so here's the, here's the only one who can help our incurable heart. Here's the only one who can bring life to us, to, to those who are dead and separated from him. Here's the only one who can do anything. And, and if he doesn't have mercy, if he doesn't have this desire to help, if he doesn't have any sort of compassion, then we are without hope. And yet, what does Peter say? He says, no, there's a God and the Father of Jesus Christ, and he has great mercy. Like great, like an abundant amount. Like, like we would look at it and be like, God, that is too much mercy. Like too much compassion, too much desire to intervene and help in our lives. And what does he say? He says, great mercy that has caused us to be born again. There's a whole sermon series on born again. Just briefly, what did we talk about? John chapter 3, Jesus having a conversation with Nicodemus. 
And he tells Nicodemus, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? And Jesus uses this phrase like born of water and born of flesh and, and these different things. But he says to Nicodemus in that passage, he says, how do you not know, you teacher of Israel? Like, like Nicodemus' title was this teacher of teachers, the, the teacher of Israel. And he's saying to him, how do you not know this? Why can Jesus say to the teacher of teachers, why don't you know this? Because Jesus didn't make it up in John 3. It's in the Old Testament. And so what passage is Jesus thinking about when he thinks of this idea of being born again? He's thinking of Ezekiel 36. And what does he say in Ezekiel 36? You can write it down. We're not going to necessarily read it this morning. But Ezekiel 36, he says, I'm going to cleanse my people. I'm going to make them clean. I'm going to give them a new heart. Your heart that's incurable, your heart that, that is dead, your heart that's apart from God, I'm going to give you a new one. And then he says, I'm also going to give you my spirit. We'll talk about this later, but it's God giving to, to, giving to his people himself. Right, so, so here's this God that we're going to praise. Why? Because he has great mercy. And through this great mercy, we have been born again. We've been cleansed. We've been given a new heart. We've been given his spirit. So that what? So that we have a living hope. Biblical term for hope isn't just like we use hope today, right? I hope my team wins today. I hope this works out. I hope it stops raining by time for an Easter egg hunt. Like whatever we want to fill in the blank with, with hope, right? This is like a confident expectation that this is going to happen. Okay, so, so why is there this confident expectation that this is going to happen? Well, remember the key phrase in this whole paragraph is what? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because Christ came to life today, we know that this is going to happen. Whatever God says, whatever Jesus has said will come true. Why? Because he conquered our greatest enemy. Because he rose from the dead. He is who he says he is. And so it says not only do we have hope, but we have a living hope. If your translation is different than New American Standard, it might not say living. It might say something like powerful. Like we have a hope that's not just like, man, I, maybe, maybe this will happen. Like, no, there's a powerful hope. It's a hope that can change your life. Because Jesus rose from the grave. Because Jesus is no longer dead. Right? Like that's what Peter is saying to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Like you have a hope that is powerful and living and you can continue to live for God. Why? Because he rose from the dead. Verse 4. What does the resurrection do? Verse 4, this, this picture of obtaining an inheritance. We'll talk a little bit about what the inheritance is in just a little bit. But how does he describe this inheritance? He says it's imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you. Like, like every person at some level, every people group at some level has something about the fountain of youth, has something about living forever, has some, something about this world is, is not just dust to dust, right? And what does verse 4 sound like? It sounds like a lot more than just dust to dust. Imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. We think of imperishable. I, this is from last night. Uh, if this makes my family sound bad, I'll take all the blame, okay? My fault. We're, we're filling Easter eggs for an Easter egg hunt. I opened an Easter egg that had jelly beans in it from last year. <laughs> Not kidding. They look exactly alike. You wouldn't be able to tell the ones that were a year old and the ones were today. Right? Like real food, man. We use the word perishable, right? It, it perishes. It, it, but like jelly beans, man, they, they might be imperishable. And yet the word here is like, no, no, no. Like something far greater than, than food that's mostly plastic. Like there's something far greater than that coming. Right? Like, like, this is, it's not just, uh, hey, it went for a week or went for a year. Or like, no, this is eternity, right? Reserved in heaven for you. 
So, so Jesus comes and he dies and he, he dies in our place and, he, and he's resurrected. And we'll talk about some of these things again uh, next passage we look at. But, but what's the picture? That when he rose from the grave, what did he do? Is he conquered this, this death. He conquered our enemy so that this longing we have for something greater than dust to dust, we have it and we have it through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 5. This, I mean, all of this should blow our mind, but verse 5, this is, and to me, so encouraging. Who? Who, who's the who, right? Like, who are we talking about? Uh, goes right back to the word right before it in verse 4. Okay, so, so there's this resurrection of Jesus, and, and those who are in Christ, we have this inheritance, which we'll talk a bit again about in just a second, but, but this inheritance is imperishable, it's eternal, it's in heaven for you. You who are in Christ. So verse 5, who? This is you who are in Christ. You are protected. How? By the power of God. My heart, Jeremiah 79, is incurable. I can't save myself. My parenting failures at times is to somehow fix my kid's problem and be like, if you break it again, I'm not, I'm not helping again. Like, like, you should have learned your lesson. Right? And yet God's story of saving us isn't, hey, I fixed it once, now take care of it. God's story for us is that he fixed it and, and this idea that he will continue to save and he will continue to protect so that for all eternity, it's not based on my works. So for all eternity, it's not like, hey, you, somehow you got to earn what God just did for you. Like, it's not protected by what I do or what I say or what I think. It's protected by who? It's protected by God alone. Like, this inheritance and this eternity that's, that's mine and it is ours for those who are in Christ. It is protected by the creator God of this universe, is what Peter says. And he says, how do we have this? We have this through the resurrection. Verse 5, we have this through faith that we would put in for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The, the kingdom of God, the, the salvation that we have, the, the New Testament paints this picture of what? Of a here and now and also a near and not yet. Like we get this life that God's promised. We have this inheritance. Again, we'll define it in just a second. But we get this inheritance. We get all these things in the here and now. And yet Peter says, and it's going to be even greater than the near and not yet. Like Christ rose from the grave, we have that promise, 1 Corinthians 15, that we will rise with him, that there will be a resurrection in the last day, and whatever glimpses that we have of this eternal life in the here and now, they're just going to be so much better than the here and not yet. And so we get to long and we get to look for that day when Christ returns, and we get this salvation, we get this inheritance in its full glory. Okay, so... so 1 Peter 1, 3-5, this idea of what? God's come, Jesus has come, and, and he saved us from physical death. Okay, but, but there's also another death and a spiritual death. And we could stay here, and I think we could park in the same three verses, and we could say that, that Jesus from these three verses has also saved us in the spiritual death of the separation from God. Why? Because the word inheritance, I think it's referring to God himself. Right? Like Jesus comes, and he's risen from the dead, and we get this inheritance, and it's not heaven. Like, we get eternity, don't get me wrong, and eternity in heaven, don't get me wrong, but there's, but there's something greater, and it's God himself. Like, we get him. But we're going to go to another passage to talk a little bit more about this idea of spiritual death. For me, it's one page over, but First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. One verse, I'll mention another verse uh, a little bit later, and then we will uh, wrap this message up. But First Peter three eighteen. For Christ also died for the sins of, once for all, the just for the unjust, 
so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Again, we're just going to walk through this verse like we did the other three. For Christ also died for our sins. Like, we know that. Like, that was a good Friday, right? Just a couple days ago, Passover lamb would be Jesus. He dies in our place. And what does it say there? It says, once for all. The author of Hebrews, man, what a beautiful picture. The author of Hebrews says this, that that the Old Testament sacrificial system, the priest would stand daily. Why did they stand? Because their job was never done. The the sacrificing of, of bulls and rams and slitting the throats and blood being poured out over the altar was a daily occurrence. And Hebrews making the argument that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament sacrificial system. He's greater than the Old Testament priest. He makes the argument that Jesus does his sacrifice. And what does he do? He sits down. It's a once for all, since past, present, and future. Like So Christ, who dies for our sins, every single one of them, the once for all payment. There's no more that we add. There's no more that we ever could add. There's more, no more that's required except for Christ and his death for us. What does he say there? He says, the just for the unjust. Jesus' life for us. Okay, so, so what was this death? And, and obviously the resurrection, we're all talking about the same thing here, right? Verse 18, though, uh, what did it do? What did this death do? What did the, the Jesus' substitution, the just for the unjust, what did that do for us? It says, so that he, Jesus, might bring us to God. The one who would listen to the snake rather than the creator of the universe. The one who would say to God, I'd rather do my thing than your thing. The one that would say to God, in essence, I think I'd be a better God in my life right now than you. Like, like that's what he's doing. He's bringing the rebel back to the Savior. He's bringing the rebel back to the Father. And Jesus comes and he dies. Why? So that we might have a relationship with God. Right, like This should blow our minds as we look throughout history. And once again, what do we see? We see people and tribes and nations and, and all these different religions that's like work hard and do this and maybe someday you can appease some God that's really mad at you. And the story of the Bible is what? That there's a God who, who has wrath reserved for those who have sinned and yet he sends his own son to appease that wrath. It's not my hard work. It's not that I climbed some mountain. It's not that I said the right thing. It's not that any of those things. It's the fact that Christ died in our place. So that that the spiritual death, the separation from from God has been restored. You you can turn there if you want, Colossians chapter 1. I'm not necessarily going to read it. But Colossians 1, Paul's going to say the same thing. He says it this way. He says, you who were once alienated from God. Right? Like, like, what does that mean? Well, alienated means separated. Like, something was broken, the relationship that's, that's not there anymore. Maybe it was, but you've been alienated, right? You're, it's gone. Uh, and he says what? You were once alienated. What does he mean? He means you who are in Christ, you are no longer alienated. You are no longer separated. You, you have a relationship with the Father. You can come to Him. You can be known by Him. He continues in that passage in Colossians 1. He uses this word. He says that we would be reconciled. I looked up the word in the Greek, and the, and the Greek word is this picture of completely, totally reconciled. Like we, That's a word we probably don't use too much outside of church. Uh, reconciliation, this idea of reconciled, is being restored, bring, 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 being brought back together. And so what's the picture in Colossians 1 that Paul walks through? He says, you who were alienated, who were separated from God, have been completely restored with him. Like, nothing more to give, nothing more to add. Like, all, all in all, Jesus paid it all so that we might be totally, completely reconciled to the Father. 
Right? So, so that's why this morning we don't celebrate us. We don't, we don't celebrate what we've done. No, we celebrate him. We celebrate the Father who sent the Son. We celebrate the Son who would be obedient even to the point of death. To finish out the verse in Colossians 1, Paul says to us who are in Christ, so that you might be holy and blameless without reproach. Like when we think back to last week and where we were, like rebels to the cause of Christ, the sinners who chose us rather than God, like our hearts incurable, our hearts are deceitful, at the very core of who we are, we're a bunch of liars who like to deceive ourselves and others. Right? And then Paul says what? He says, because of Christ, because of his death force on the cross and his resurrection, we get to stand before God holy and blameless. Like there's, there's no more. He doesn't look at us as the deceitful people we are. He doesn't look at us as the incurable dead people that we are. Like you have been made alive because of Christ and you stand before the Father holy and blameless. So what do we do? We celebrate him. We rejoice in him. And so this morning, I don't know. I, don't, like, I, I literally don't know your story right now in, in this day. Right? Like, I know you're here. But I don't, I don't know what it looked like. I don't know what time you woke up. I don't know what, what it looked like from when you woke up to when you walked in this door. Right? Like, like all of us are struggling. Some of us have been sick. Some of us aren't here right now because of sickness. Some of us are going through incredibly hard, difficult circumstances. And I'm not trying to downplay any of that. But the story of Jesus and the story of Easter, the story of resurrection is that no matter the circumstance, we can celebrate and we can rejoice. Why? Because the two greatest things of, of, of dust to dust, this type of physical death, and this spiritual death, a separation from God, have built, both been conquered by Jesus Christ. And so whatever struggle, whatever hardship, whatever trial, whatever thing that we're going through right now, it's like, I just wish this would end. There's a, there's a story, there's a, the picture the Bible paints is that one day it will end, and it will completely end. And there's a, a risen Savior who will rule perfectly for all eternity. And we get to be a part of that, not just near and not yet, not just soon in the future, but in the here and now, we get to be a part of his kingdom. We get to experience this life. And so again, I'm not trying to downplay whatever struggle we're in the middle of, but I'm just telling us to lift our eyes. And be reminded that on this Resurrection Sunday that, that we serve the risen Savior who has conquered death. So may we rejoice in Him. I'm going to pray. Um, after I pray, we will observe the Lord's Supper. And I'll explain a little bit more of that after I pray. But let's go to the Father. Father, we thank You. We thank You that even though we were dead, even though we had nothing to bring in of ourselves, that You sent Your Son. We thank you, Jesus, that you would be obedient to the point of death on a cross. Jesus, we praise you that you are the one who, who is living. Uh, you are the one who did not stay in the tomb. You are the one who conquered sin and death for us. Help us to rejoice in what you have done. Help us to be able to celebrate the fact that, that dust to dust is, is no longer who we are. Help us to celebrate that being alienated from the Father is no longer our description. But Jesus, we couldn't do that in our own strength. We couldn't, couldn't have done that in a million years. But your death, your resurrection paid the price. So Jesus, we thank you and we praise you. Uh, may your name be lifted up from us even, even this week. I pray these things in your son's name. Amen.